Excellent. Welcome, welcome all to our second edition of Bacardi Talks. Today, we're incredibly excited to have, again, another incredible industry innovator and leader. Uh, today, we'll be joined by Elizabeth Plow in a little bit. Uh, but before we get going, got some housekeeping to do. Uh, my name is Brian Connors. I'm the director of Bacardi Center of Excellence. And as I like to say, the keeper of all things fun today. Uh, we are recording and this is also live. Uh, before we get into today, I always have the great honor to introduce our outstanding dean, Dr. Michael Chang. Dr. Chang, can you hey, say hello for us, sir? Thank you, Professor Connors. I'll give you a 5% raise right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, as Brian said, welcome. I'm very pleased that you are all available to join us here today on our second edition of Bacardi Talks at the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Uh, for those of you who are new to the Chaplin School NFIU, here are some fun facts. We are the fourth largest public university in the country, the third largest hospitality program in the country, and the first to open a very successful campus for hospitality management in partnership with Tianjin University of Commerce in China. Our school have graduated over 17,000 alumni worldwide, and our online bachelor's program is ranked number one in the country for the last five consecutive years. Uh, we are ranked top 50 in the world, and our students represent the future of our country and our global industry, with 38% Hispanic and Latinos and 35% international. We are deeply invested in our industry and our community, and during this pandemic, we raised almost 1.6 million, thanks to our partners like Bacardi, and Badia Spices to support laid off and fellow restaurant employees in Miami-Dade, Broward and Palm Beach counties in partnership with the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which is also run and operated by our staff and students at FIU. Once again, thank you. And it's my pleasure to welcome all of you here today to our second edition of Bacardi Talks. And I'll turn it back over to Brian. Thank you very much, Dean Chang. Always a pleasure, sir. Someday I'm actually see you live again. I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe. Yeah. Either which way, we're going to have some fun today. Hey, quick little Bacardi update on our program. Uh, for those of you that have been following us on our fun podcast, it's great. We're close to 1,200 downloads, so please enjoy two bar stools and a knife. We're always having a good time with that. Uh, Bacardi Teach, also a great success. Uh, thousands of people have now taken courses. We're in the hundreds as far as certificates being awarded. That's individuals that have taken uh, five of our courses successfully and so forth. Hey, our Bacardi scholarship winners are going to be announced soon, so we're really excited about that. The internship program, which is also highly selective, is going to be announced as well. The individuals that applied for that, thank you for doing that. They'll be reaching out for that as well. Uh, and hopefully soon, uh, we'll all be able to see the Bacardi classroom live on campus in room 175. It's going to have a great new look, uh, really pop, and we're really excited to see that coming forward. So that's it on my Bacardi update. So today, I'm excited to get into our conversation with Elizabeth Lau. Now, uh, many of you from the restaurant segment uh, have heard of Elizabeth, the acclaimed restaurateur, uh, as well as TV personality. Uh, I watched her season three on Restaurant Startup. I did, Elizabeth, you know, uh, as well as award-winning author, uh, James Beard nominee, and also the founder of the Women's Hospitality Initiative, which we're also going to be talking about today because that's an important topic. So without further ado, Elizabeth, welcome to Bacardi Talks. 
Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, all this Bacardi talk, I'm sad I don't have a mojito in front of me, but maybe when I get home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just give it time. Give it time. There's always time for a cocktail on that. So, Elizabeth, we're going to be talking a little bit about the early years. We're going to talk about uh, as well as what's going on in the industry, and then we're going to turn it over to some of our special guests uh, today that we're going to talk about some of your new initiatives for the women in hospitality. But I get the chance to talk a little bit about uh, the early years. Um, and kind of, I'm real curious now, you and I talked briefly about this before we went live today on where and what was the tipping point, you know? So you were, and I have permission to say this, the taco girl outside of Hartford, Connecticut. You went to school, not for hospitality, but then something switched and you, you went back to graduate school for hospitality and this illustrious career began. But Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about what was the tipping point? What happened? You said, this hospitality, the restaurant segment, this is for me. Sure. Um, well, I was indeed the um, the taco girl at, at happy hour at a restaurant called Poncho McGee's in West Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and uh, I went to Georgetown undergrad for government international relations, but um, I started working in, in restaurants in high school and I continued all through through college. And for me, I thought it was my passion, um, but I, I didn't think that that was going to be my career because I, I didn't want to be a chef. I, I didn't necessarily want to run a restaurant, um, but I knew I loved the industry. And so actually, I went to work for United Liquors when I when I graduated um, in, uh, in Bridgewater, Mass. And so I got to see and learn the industry from the supplier side. I then moved to New York City and worked for one of the big party and floral decorating companies. And so I, I I kept circling around and I actually moved home and was applying to law school. And I was working as an intern for the state's prosecuting attorney. And um, I thought, this is nothing like TV. <laughs> this is not fun. And um, so I applied to, um, to one school. I figured let's pick the best. Um, well, tie it for the best with FIU. Um, and so I, I, I went to Cornell and um, really the, the program was uh, much more like getting an MBA. I mean, there was finance, there was statistics, there was accounting, there was real estate. Um, and um, I was incredibly fortunate there because um, that's where um, I was introduced to the Maccioni family, two of the brothers, Mario and Marco. Um, Marco did the EME program, Cornell's program in, in France, and Mario was um, two years ahead of me um, at, at Cornell. So That's amazing, you know, and you, you mentioned Sirio uh, as well, legendary restaurateur from the Maccioni family, you know. How did that actually, you know, take place? Because then did he say, hey, you're going to come work for me at Le Cirque? Or how did that transition take place? Now, I believe it was a family friend. There was some connection there. But, hey, you it know was, what? It's, it's definitely a funny story. So um, I was in New York with Professor Kelly, um, my restaurant professor. And we were at uh, Lutece with Andre Soltner. We had read his book. And we were fortunate enough to have an early dinner as a class at the restaurant. And... Um, I was going to be the graduate assistant. So two of the graduate assistants and I um, joined Professor Kelly to have a drink with Sirio at, at Le Cirque. And um, so it turned out it was his birthday. And so he invited us for dinner. So I, I could be one of the few people in the world that had two dinners, one at Lutece and, and one at Le Cirque in the same night. 
Um, but we were talking and um, his wife loved, um, Edgidiana loves gambling. She goes to Atlantic City and they were planning a trip to, to Las Vegas. And I said, well, if you, you know, want to meet with um, Steve Wynn, I'd be happy to arrange it. Um, the Wins were family friends. Um, needless to say, when um, Sirio called my professor to see if I could make the introduction, um, the professor was uh, <laughs> thought I was nuts and um, uh, was not too happy with me. But I explained that I could make the introduction. And so... Um, I started the the deal, but, um, you know, working um, for Serio um, and then somewhere in the in the process, um, after a couple of years, Mr. Wynn stole me away and I, I moved to to Las Vegas to be the vice president of restaurant development for for Bellagio. So um, that was the extraordinary time where um, we got to bring some of the most extraordinary chefs from around the world, um, many celebrity chefs to do their, you know, their second restaurant, Michael Mina, Todd English, uh, Jean George. John George had more than, it was not his second restaurant, but um, it was um, an extraordinary time. Yeah, that, that was an you know, amazing time because I remember a lot of individuals I either went to culinary school with or from undergrad were traveling out and taking their first quote unquote, you know, real jobs out in Las Vegas. Now, before that, you know, and I know I'm jumping back a little bit here, but like, what was the scene like in Vegas before that? I mean, it was it, you know, you, now that people travel to Vegas and you were part of that creating the culinary scene, but what was going on before? And did you see the need or did Steve Wynn kind of say, hey, Elizabeth, this is what we're going to do? Well, originally it was only going to be Le Cirque and, and Chirco at Bellagio and the rest was going to be internally developed. Um, so yeah, so that was, was definitely the, you know, the original plan. Um, Emeril Lagasse had a, you know, fabulous restaurant at um, the MGM, Jean-Louis Paladin had opened Napa. Um, so, and, and Wolfgang Puck, I mean, Wolfgang Puck really, you know, paved the way for all of us with his Spago and the forum shops. So that's what really, you know, led the impetus to the conversation with Sirio because, um, you know, I had read and, you know, I'd heard about how well Spago was doing. And so, you know, I kind of tongue in cheek said, you know, well, look at how well Spago is doing. Wouldn't it be great to have Le Cirque? And that little tongue in cheek comment, you know, parlayed into, you know, an actual business deal. And so after Cornell, um, I moved to New York to work for the Maccioni's um, to open Austria del Circo and La Cirque. And I negotiated that, that deal to go out there. But as I said, those were going to be the only two. When I went to work for Mr. Wynn and, um, and, you know, it became evident that there was a restaurant called Retail Cafe, and it was um, next to Armani and um, Hermes. And so I thought, you know, you have all this, you know, high, super luxury branded retail, you know, maybe it would make sense, um, you know, to, you know, to have another, you know, kind of outside restaurant. And um so, you know, I'd like to say that it was some kind of science, but the restaurant had already been designed. It had a pizza kitchen. It obviously had to be different than Chirco, which had a, you know, a pizza oven. Um, and so that's where, you know, I kind of dug into my files. And, you know, at the time uh, when I lived in Boston, um, Todd and Olivia English were acquaintances. And so I picked up the phone and called and 
you know, and then it just, you know, kind of snowballed from, from there. We um, uh, had been friends with uh, Jean George um, and he flew out and uh, Prime Steakhouse was, was born. And uh, obviously there's two extraordinary, at the time, seafood restaurants in America. One was La Bernadette and the other was Aqua on either coast. And so, you know, it just kind of went from there. Uh, we had a lobby bar and I thought um, this lobby is overlooking uh, one of the most extraordinary Dale Chihuly chandeliers um, that's ever been made. Um, and so we made a deal with Petrosian Caviar to do um, a caviar bar. And uh, so the creativity was was really limitless. I worked with extraordinary people like Amal Aziz and, and Kevin Stussy, um, you know, to create this um, amazing portfolio. Yeah. Then take us to kind of today, you know, where Plow Associates, you're the CEO, founder of, uh, you have restaurants, you're still working your magic today. But what was, again, that transition for you to say, I'm going to go out on my own, create my own restaurant concepts, open my own restaurants. We know your, your husband's also a phenomenal chef, but what happened there? So um, Mr. Wynn sold the company to MGM. I stayed on and worked for MGM for um, another two years. Um, but what was extraordinary about working for Mirage Resorts and, and working for Steve and Elaine Wynn um, was it still felt like a family and coming from working from the Maccioni family to the Mirage family. Um, MGM was definitely a corporation and it operated in a very different way. And um, so that's where, you know, I said, okay, I've gotten my experience, but um, now's the time to do my own thing. So um, luckily Mr. Wynn was, had bought the Desert Inn and was planning to launch Win, so it was a nice first consulting client. And then um, my dear friend and celebrated Miami chef Carrie Simon and I um, opened our first restaurant, which was Simon Kitchen and Bar um, at the Hard Rock Casino. And so we got to take everything that we had learned um, at Bellagio and the attention to detail on food, service, cocktails, wine. Um, but in this fun rock and roll setting and got to wear blue jeans and, you know, play, you know, incredible music. And of course, every artist who played in the joint from David Bowie to Mick Jagger, um, you know, came through the, the restaurant. And so we were next door to Nobu um, and it was a great partnership with, with Peter Morton and uh, that really launched um, the restaurant side. So, so now we have a consulting side of our business. Um, as you mentioned, my husband, Chef Kim Cantinwala, and I got married and we started opening our own restaurants. Unfortunately, about six years ago, Carrie Simon passed away from a horrible neurodegenerative disease. Um, but we had a, we had a great time together. And then, um, as I said, my husband and I, we have three restaurants in Las Vegas. We're also partnered with Buddy Velastro, the cake boss. Cake so boss, we yeah. have a, a great restaurant in, in the Venetian. Uh, we have our honey salt. And then uh, one of our restaurants, luckily we were reconcepting. Um, uh, so it was perfect timing to be closed during this, this pandemic. So, you know, we'll relaunch, um, this fall. And then we have five others in, um, in Vancouver, Canada, um, and another casino project. So we have another honey salt, we have another signature steak and seafood, but, um, uh, it's so incredible 
to work in in British Columbia because our access to seafood and produce from the Okanagan um, is is really quite. Um, extraordinary. So those restaurants are getting a slower reopening because everything was was shut down because they are in a casino. But Honey Salt in Las Vegas has been plugging away. We never closed. We obviously had to close our our dining room, but um, we were fortunate never to have to close our operation. And we kept 25 people um, employed. So um, very proud of that. And I'm sure their families are very appreciative that, you know, we uh, were able to stay open. Great. That's great. So, you know, this next question, I have kind of more of a professor twist to it, if you will. Uh, So, you know, you mentioned Professor Kelly. uh, So I got to bring up one of my favorites and one of your favorites, uh, Dr. Chris Muller. Hey, Chris, you there, sir? I am. How are you guys? Hi. (laughs) How are you? Oh, my God. I know. And I heard you retired. How could you do that? Well, I, it helped that the university I worked at thought it was a good time for me to go. Uh, you know, so they, they helped me retire. So actually, I'm in the middle of the move from Boston to Onset. I heard you might have been on Cape Cod recently. I was just on Cape Cod for a month. Well, we, we, we have a small uh, retirement condo. I'm actually in the basement where I'm going to have an office in Onset, which is just oh, over yeah. the Bourne Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right on Buzzards Bay. So that's where we're... we're uh, settling in. I'm, I'm going to be working with, uh, yeah, it's, and I'm going to uh, start working, doing projects with my old friend and partner, Chef Halloran. Brian oh, and I, have, Brian. Uh, he's down in Newport uh, or Jamestown, and we've reconstituted Gastronomical Adventures, uh, which is the name of the very successful restaurant. Oh, let me change that. The very successful failure of a restaurant that he and I had on Cape Cod in Centerville, 40 years ago this summer. I never knew that. That's yeah, we were partners. So, uh, you know, Elizabeth, you and I share quite a, quite a number of things. So one is we both worked for United Liquors. I worked for Mike Ty and was the first connoisseur of Boston when they started that division uh, and the Michelle Cravat division that we had. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Cornell. Uh, what we don't share is that I've had two very successful failures for my restaurant companies, one in front, Cape Cod and one in in Orlando, was back in uh, the. About I, I've had a couple. I, I've yeah. had a couple too. Yeah, but I haven't. Had, I haven't had the successes that you've had. That's the difference. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, to, to uh, stop talking about us. And I do apologize that I never had you uh, lecture at, at BU when I was dean or when I was teaching there. Even though we, you said you would, uh, I never got my act together to get it to, to, to work. So we'll have to figure out another way to make this work. I would um, love that. And. Um, so, so the question is, uh, you know, you and I, we do share a, a lot. Um, you're considerably younger than I am. But over the last um, uh, five decades of my restaurant life, um, uh, one of the things that I've benefited from was this American restaurant, um, uh, sort of the, the Pox Americana. It was the greatest time for, my friend Giuseppe Pizzotti would say, it was the best time for restaurants in the world's history. It's not quite that right now. Uh, not everybody likes the term restaurant apocalypse, but uh, here we're seeing a lot of challenge. Uh, if, if you were to start again, you know, let's say you're, you're back at Cornell and you're getting ready to go and, and instead of taking the, the job with Syrio and, and going on from there, where would you put your energies today? Where, where do you think the opportunity is for a young person like you were, like I was 
10 or 15 years before you, uh, thinking about going out and starting a, a career? You know, um, that's a great question. And, um, you know, there are people um, out there quoting numbers uh, that 85% of restaurants in, in America um, you know, could possibly go out of business. And, uh, so that is a restaurant apocalypse. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, so much is, is technology based and I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the ghost kitchens. Um, you know, I think that, you know, this, this fast casual, but, um, you know, with a, you know, an eye to, to quality, like, um, Shake Shack and, and, and Chick-fil-A, you know, have, have done, um, I would, Definitely stay away from from fine dining. Um, I, I think that uh, you know those are are, are the biggest challenges. Um, but you know, I would never trade you know doing something and, and working for people that um, that you you feel passionate about. And I think that in our business, uh, there's a very important blend between. Um, you know, the academic side that, you know, that we get in, in school and, and the practical side. So whenever I lecture at school, I always talk about internships and your summer job. And, um, you know, so much can be, you know, learned by, you know, people who, um, you know, eventually become your, your mentors. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, for some of the people graduating, and I've um, had a number of, of conversations, you know, don't sweat it. Think of this year as a, as a postgraduate year, you know, do an internship. Um, you know, if you can, um, you know, f- go live at home and, you know, if you can afford it financially, but um, it's a very difficult time for, for our industry. And so looking and trying to pivot into those areas that are tech focused, that are, um, you know, again, more limited service. Um, but, you know, my passion has always been, you know, quality and, uh, and quality ingredients. So I think you can have a happy marriage between the two. Simple, but elegant. We used to say, uh, the, the, uh, as a sort of quick little follow-up, I, I think the idea is that it's, uh, we're, we're facing this ongoing forest fire and like any forest fire, uh, some of the old growth, uh, disappears, but 12 to eight, 18 months later, there's these green shoots, this new movement. I think restaurants will be always be part of the American culture, the world culture, we're just going to see a lot of new startups. Um, maybe if uh, the Dean and, and, um, and Brian and Bacardi would uh, consider something, we, we, we could put together uh, some kind of program at FIU to, to help those green shoots uh, expand. Uh, maybe after we settle down a little bit more uh, after the end of the year or into 2021, uh, Elizabeth, we can get you to come and, and be part of that, that movement if, if the Dean will have me. <laughs> thank you dr Muller. oh did you hear that chris i heard michael chang say absolutely you know <laughs> Muller, always a pleasure to see you sir so you thank you for having great me great to see you chris it's the best. Yeah, sorry for the stroll that amnesia land there everybody that doesn't know dr chris Muller, legendary uh restaurant professor uh that elizabeth and both of us had up at Columbia university all right enough of that stuff but we just had a great transition there even though never give uh, professor Muller a microphone see what happens but he did have a great transition for us, Elizabeth, and we're going to talk a little about today uh, in the restaurant space, you know, and, you know, you said some really kind of poignant things there. Are we looking at the new normal now? Uh, I know that's been the cliche overused a lot now, but um, is what we're seeing now, and I do agree that fine dining is going to have some challenges. There's always going to be a time and place for special occasions. Uh, you mentioned La Bernadette or some of the other classics that are out there, but 
is this going to be our new normal in hospitality where now only the strong will survive? You know, I mean, I think a lot of the problem is um, being caused by the landlords. I mean, you know, our rent is one of our largest fixed costs. Um, I can tell you on some of our spaces, we have landlords who feel like they're entitled to 100% of their rent when, you know, we can't um, even seat 50% of the dining room. And so remember that at six feet and, uh, you know, in the occupancy levels, my 140 seat restaurant doesn't necessarily become 70, it becomes 50. And while most of the country is enjoying, you know, this idea of outdoor dining, it's 115 degrees today in Las Vegas and probably maybe not 100 in Miami, but the, the humidity's up there. And so, um, you know, that becomes a, a challenge. What happens in New York in October, November, um, if we're still at outside dining? Yet, you know, these landlords are, you know, are wanting 100% of, of, their, of their rent. So we, we need... Um, federal intervention. We need, you know, more stimulus, um, you know, otherwise you're going to see the extinction. So I don't think, you know, it's a problem with the restaurant formula. I, I think it's, this is, you know, completely pandemic um, related. There's always going to be attrition. There's always, you know, um, you know, that, that figure that, you know, 25 to, to 30% of, you know, of restaurants will fail in the first four years. Um, it's a tough business. It's a volatile business, but if you love it and it's in your blood, uh, you're kind of stuck with it. So, um, you know, I, I just think that we, we have to, you know, to, to forge ahead, we're going to need, um, you know, more, more assistance. Uh, but anybody going into this, uh, without strong financial footing, um, you know, is not going to survive. So yes, it, it is very Darwinian survival, um, of the fittest, but, you know, unfortunately for those, you know, who are, you know, going to, to lose, you know, a lifetime of, of work, um, you know, there, there's no fairness, um, in this and it's really, you know, devastating. So support your local restaurants. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I saw that recent video um, that came out that was promoting supporting all your local restaurants that are out there. So please, if you can, even if it's just to go right now, uh, help them out as best as you can. So it's all good. So, the, you know, the business model, I think we're all in agreement, even with Dr. Muller going there, you know, that it needs to change slightly. Um, but uh, there's some hope there. So, hey, let's do a, a quick little shift here uh, because I definitely want to spend some time uh, talking about your women's hospitality initiative. Now, uh, I need a little help, though. Uh, because I'm going to ask my uh, colleague as well as friend uh, Heidi Vargas, the Vice President of On-Premise for Bacardi North America, to join us. Uh, and uh, Heidi, I'm going to throw this section over to you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so good to see you. Um, just to familiarize the audience with my history with Elizabeth, although I've never met her directly in person, I told her earlier I've been a fangirl my whole life. And as she explained the process of opening Bellagio, I got to see that firsthand because I was a part of the opening team um, on the beverage side, running, helping run the beverage department. And then later on, I became the beverage director. So all of those amazing chefs that you brought on board, I have to tell you, talking to you now, you've completely influenced my career because as I developed within the, the leadership opportunity within Bellagio. I as well went to the James Beard house and got to make cocktails alongside Julian Serrano and John George and Michael Mina. And having that experience, you can imagine, just exploded my career. So a uh, huge kudos to you and thank you for all of your inspiration. 
but we have a little surprise. We have a video question um, from your pal and longtime friend, Chef Michelle Bernstein. So let's hear what she has to ask you. <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. Sending you much love, uh, distant hugs and kisses from Miami. And you know, I'm probably one of your greatest fans. Um, so half of the graduates from culinary programs are women, yet only a small percent move up to leadership roles. Why do you think that is, and what can other organizations and people do to change that? Oh, so great to see Michelle. Thank you for that, that video. Um, that is um, really the, the whole crux of um, why um, we founded the Women's Hospitality Initiative in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, an incredible woman, Joanna James, um, did a documentary film called A Fine Line. And um, I recommend that all of you uh, Google it and, uh, and, and, and take a look. It's, it's, it's really an incredible documentary. And, you know, not that that number, um, you know, really um, was shocking to me if I, if I thought about it, but, you know, in watching this documentary and really thinking about it, it was kind of a tremendous punch in the, in the gut to think that, you know, these women are setting out for, for a career and yet they're not getting to leadership levels. And, you know, and I, and I thought as a woman CEO um, that it was, you know, part of my, my responsibility to take action and, and make sure that there was some, some change. And so, um, you know, we decided to, instead of doing a global initiative or a national initiative to try and focus this um, on one city and um, in the learning process, um, I also read a, a tremendous article that was done by Cheryl Sandberg's uh, Lean In Foundation, um, as well as the McKinsey Group, and it's called the broken rung, like a rung on a ladder. And so, you know, we've always talked about the glass ceiling, and you know, women can't break the glass ceiling. But this study showed that the the issue is is that women and men are entering the workforce at equal numbers, so either out of high school or out of college. But women are finding falling behind on that first rung, on that first management job. And so that was kind of a shock to me. And so I thought, well, if they're falling behind, you know, at their first management position, um, then something was wrong at the high school level or something was wrong at the college level that we weren't teaching our women the leadership, the mentorship, the advocacy skills that they needed um, to gain the confidence to get that first management job. Maybe it's as simple as how to ask, um, you know, how to, to work with male allies. Um, and so as we started to do our research, we could not find anywhere, not even in the U.S., but anywhere in the world where there was a leadership um, in hospitality. I mean, in many leadership classes for women, but not specifically for leadership for women in hospitality. And so I am thrilled to announce that this fall, um, the Culinary Institute of America and UNLV will be launching the first ever women's leadership course. Uh, it'll be a joint venture between um, the two schools. And... Um, so right now, um, we have a focus to try and save our whole restaurant industry because it's so devastating. Um, but we still have to keep an eye on, on making sure that, um, again, that we're just teaching these, these basic skills um, to make sure that everybody has a, has a fair advantage.
That's so awesome. And it's so much needed um, in our industry. And that's something that I'm really passionate about too. Um, again, kind of being in the boardroom executive side of a spirits company, um, you know, it's very male dominated as well. And one thing that we have um, tried to do with our Bacardi Women in Leadership program is develop that next level of talent and fill that pipeline. And we talk about the broken rung all the time. And how do we encourage, to your point, speak up in the boardroom and raise your hand and have have the courage. Um, and I, I felt that even as a young professional coming into a boardroom or, you know, especially at Bellagio and you're sitting in these kind of meetings with all you, you get asked your opinion and you George, like my opinion doesn't matter. Um, and you quickly realize that they're asking those questions because your opinion does matter. So I, I appreciate that because so much of that confidence building that's needed. Um, and then you talked about um, the leadership potential and finding that mentor and advocate. Um, how, how do you feel about how important it is to have that advocate for you and that mentorship? for these young ladies? You know what? It's, it's absolutely invaluable. And, um, you know, the thing about our women's hospitality initiative, that's different from the, the me too movement. This is about men and women working together. That's the only way that this is going to, to work. We have to move beyond me too, because as women become more leaders, it's going to naturally, you know, not be, um, a, an issue. And so, you know, we are very focused on, on the future ahead. Every one of my original mentors, uh, were men who gave me the, you know, the confidence and the belief and the ability, um, that I can do it. But I can tell you when we, we sat down with one of the casino CEOs, um, to ask about money, cause we had to fundraise to start our initiative. And he brought, um, his, his CFO with him, who, who was a woman to, you know, be part of the, the conversation. And she started, um, in a, you know, a far more junior level in the accounting department. And, you know, he was part with another group of people of mentoring her. And when, um, he was ready to promote her, um, you know, they told me the story that the first thing she said was, I'm not ready. And he said, yes, you are ready. And so, you know, to be able to have those kind of advocates, to have male allies um, is going to be critical um, in this, this process. Um, I am extraordinarily fortunate to, um, you know, have, have people like Skip Bronson and, and Tom Kelly to have a strong, you know, father who, you know, instilled the, the confidence in me, um, Sirio Maccioni, Steve Wynn, um, not everybody as a good fortune to have an all-star lineup, but, you know, whoever your advocates are, um, if, if they believe in you and they can help you, um, you know, build those, those rungs, um, then, um, it's, it's a win-win. And so, you know, whether your advocates are, are, are male or they're, they're female, um, having those, those industry mentors are, are critical, I think, in, in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you always want somebody who really speaks on your behalf when you're not in that room. And you brought up a good point about, um, you know, as women, we sometimes don't go for those roles because as we read the job description, we'll say, oh, I have eight out of 10 of those. So I, I'm missing these two things that they're requiring. And men, they're like, I got this. I, I got eight out of 10. I, uh, I'm in. 
So I do think that there's a perception we need to work on as women within our own self saying like, you know, not only should I be told it, I'm, I'm good enough, but I need to work on that for, for myself and, you know, others as well. So we talked about kind of getting through this pandemic and, you know, mental health is a big topic of concern, especially within the hospitality industry. And there's a lot of layoffs and furloughs and just struggling out there. Um, the media is negative. You know, we talked about 85% of restaurants may not open again. And so how do you just get away from all that and just take a good wellness break and make sure that you're keeping mentally healthy? You know, it's so critical, um, you know, especially, you know, for me, not only am I a working mom, so I have a, a teenager and, and my husband to make sure that everybody is um, mental health is, uh, is, is well, but, you know, the in, entire team, because, you know, I can tell you in the early days of, of the pandemic, when we were all uncertain about the future and what was going to happen, you know, I felt those eyes on me every day when I walked into Honey Salt, like, do we have a job? Are we staying open? And um, so, you know, for me living in, in Las Vegas, as, as you know, Heidi, we are so blessed with Mount Charleston and, and Red Rock is only a few miles from, from my house. So hiking and, and outdoor activities. Um, we did take a, a break and, and have a vacation on, on Cape Cod. And on my last day, um, somebody plowed into me on a bicycle. So if you saw the rest of my outfit, you would think it was quite funny because I've got shorts and my leg and a cast on a scooter. Um, but um, so my, my mental health is, is, is a little more cerebral right now, but luckily I'm with my mom and dad who are taking great care of me. Um, but you know, that, that balance is, is critical and, and it's really difficult for people living in, you know, New York city and other places where, you know, it's just hard to get, you know, some, some, some fresh air, but um, you know, having that, that balance and, you know, for some people, uh, because I travel so much, or I did travel so much, um, my office was was at home. Um, but for some people, you know, this this whole idea of of working at home and being at home um, is is very difficult. And you know, that is really, um, you know, I think adding to to some of the stress and anxiety um, and some of the absolute craziness that you know that you read about in the newspaper every day. Yeah. Um, going back to your comment about when you walked first into Honey Salt when the pandemic first started and, and people were looking to you for kind of like, they needed your confidence, like, are we going to get through this? Are we going to be okay? Six, you know, five, six months later, I'm sure that they're still looking at you. So how do you keep your cool and keep your team um, motivated at this point when it seems that, you know, the, that this isn't making a turn anytime soon. How do, how do you go about your leadership to make sure that everybody is still engaged and, and feels positive? Well, I can tell you one of the things that um, I learned from some of my great female mentors in, in um, Las Vegas, like Elaine Wynn and Diana Bennett and Jan Jones, our, our former mayor is, um, you know, that, uh, that philanthropy is, is, is really, um, one of the, the core pillars of, of our, of our company. And so while my job literally is to, to dream up 
the most delicious, delectable, you know, dishes. And I, I post these beautiful things that I, I cook or I am inspired by on, on Instagram. Um, the reality is that hundreds of thousands of people are out of work in, in Las Vegas. And so um, the idea that, you know, while um, there's an abundance of food on, on one side, but that there are people that um, are really triple threat, that they're homebound, that they don't have financial means to get takeout or, or delivery, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and they have underlying or not underlying severe health issues, um, was really just untenable. So in addition to creating a marketplace and um, doing secret burger live cooking demos and selling kits and family style meals, uh, we also launched a program called Delivering with Dignity. Um, it's a private um, partnership with over 30 nonprofit organizations who identify um, these triple threat, high risk people in, in our community. And we've partnered with um, four other restaurants in our community. And as of last week, we had gotten over 100,000 meals um, delivered directly to the doorstep of those most vulnerable in our, our community. And um, the food heroes, as we call them, um, are an army of volunteers who come to the restaurants, pick up the food, and then deliver it um, with safe protocols and social distancing, you know, right to the to the doorsteps. And so, you know, our team knows that, you know, not only are we performing the best that we can for, you know, our, our regular customers, that we are putting that same love and energy into, um, you know, this, this food in, in, in the community. And, um, you know, some of these people, you know, have never had a, a chef prepared restaurant meal. And so, you know, it's really critical in these, these times to, you know, to reinforce that, um, you know, as difficult as the situation is financially, I, I don't think we've, we've made, money in, in months. But, you know, again, we've been able to keep people employed um, and we've been able to do good for, for our community. And so, um, you know, I hold, my husband and I hold ourselves to those high standards um, as well as our team. And, um, you know, I hope that keeps our, our honey salt family going. Absolutely. And it's not any surprise that you've done that um, to support the community because you've been all about the Las Vegas community since you've been there. And um, you, to your point, it's been all of the industry has been hit hard, but Vegas in particular, when it's built on hospitality, I can't imagine another city that's hurting more in the, in, you know, in the U S except for Vegas. So um, again, not to discredit the others, but I, I know personally um, what that feels like. Um, my last thing for you, Elizabeth is, is again, just, Thank you so much for what you're doing for women in the industry and for leading us and inspiring us and for continuing the initiative that you are behind the hospitality initiative. Um, my last, my last kind of thing for you is just any last advice to young professionals out there that are getting ready to embark in a very much male dominated world behind culinary and hospitality. Um, what is some maybe advice you would have given to your younger self that we can give these ladies today? You know, you, you touch on, on, on a point, I think, you know, um, that women are sometimes toughest on our ourselves and, uh, you know, without a doubt that, you know, example you gave of, you know, of, do I check every box on the resume and don't be hard on yourself and, uh, you know, enjoy this time. This is a time for exploration, to take a class, to, you know, to push yourself, um, 
you know, I was much more inclined to the English and writing and marketing side of things, but, you know, take that, you know, extra economics or, or math class, um, you know, take something, you know, that you, you're not comfortable, get out of your, your, your comfort zone. Um, but, you know, you are your own best advocate. And so, you know, having that self-confidence, um, you know, in, in your abilities and, um, and be ready to, you know, to, to push the envelope and, uh, Never take no, but you can take not take no in a you know in a nice and in a diplomatic way, and no one is going to advocate for you. So if you want something, you have to ask for it, and you have to you have to push, and you have to you know advocate for for yourself. Um, and uh, you know somebody can always say say no, but um, you know at least you know you've done your best. I hear that absolutely. Advocate for yourself and you know, and raise your hand and put yourself out there. I agree hundred percent. So it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And again, massive, massive fangirl of you. And thank you for everything you've done. Um, for, not only for me personally, and, and, and probably that's just a weird comment because again, we've not met, but just everything that you've done to outline all of the ways of working in Vegas and the transformation of that city. I got to see it firsthand and I just appreciate appreciate your time very much. Let's turn it back to Brian and he's going to close it out. Yes. Thank you so much, Heidi. And of course, uh, thank you, Chef Michelle Bernstein. She was reporting that live from her studio today. So it's great to have Michelle there. So Elizabeth, you've had a lot to say here. This has been fantastic. Uh, I love some of your insights. Uh, I love the direction you're going, particularly with the women in hospitality, because I'm really looking forward to doing more with that. We know you're having a conversation with Dean Chang in regards to that, but uh, we look forward to having you again sometime soon. That'd be great. Um, any closing thoughts before we sign off and say thank you to everyone? This has been great fun. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's a new way that we have to communicate with, with one another. Um, and so, you know, I really enjoy doing this and, um, you know, I hope some of, um, the questions that we've addressed have, you know, uh, have helped anybody in the audience, but stay safe, wear a mask, um, support your local restaurants. And, um, you know, all we can do is, is really, you know, communicate, send letters to our, um, our Congress, people to, you know, to pass the stimulus one in four jobs in America that have been lost are in the hospitality industry one in four. And so our industry has been tremendously hard hit. And as Chris Muller says, like we are resilient, we will, will come back. But um, of all of the crises I, I have lived um, uh, this is, this is truly unprecedented and it's not just, you know, here in the U S it's, it's, it's around the world and it's not just restaurants and chefs, it's farmers and fishermen and the musicians and the PR companies and all of the pe thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that also, you know, support and live, um, from, from our industry. So. And imagine trying to get married during all this, right? So. I, I live it, but you're getting married in one of Probably my like favorite heavenly places. There you go. Mine too. And Muller can figure that out himself. Dr. Chang, closing thoughts, sir. I just want to thank Elizabeth again. This is awesome. Um, everything you say has been on point and we certainly would love to collaborate some more with you on the Women's Initiative. Thank you so much. That's Perfect. fabulous. Thank you. You got it. And uh, Elizabeth, we saw our friend uh, uh, that was actually watching as well. So uh, we will have our next Bacardi Talks on October 8th with another legendary 
uh, restaurant tour uh, that uh, was very legendary. Maybe his uh, his restaurants was named today, and maybe he was also watching. So, Drew, we look forward to having you up next. Uh, so it's gonna be good. And uh, Dr. Muller, thank you for coming out of your basement. Always a pleasure to see you guys, <laughs> Elizabeth. Everyone for watching on behalf of thank you, Chris. Yeah. On behalf of the Bacardi Center of Excellence at FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, we look forward to seeing you next time. As Elizabeth said, support your local restaurants, wash your hands, and be safe.